Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Dream Bigger podcast. I'm your host, Sif, and I'm the founder of Array. So if you follow me on Instagram, you'd have heard me talking nonstop about the tinted sunscreen, mascara, or cheek stain from Ilya. Long story short, I am obsessed with the brand, which is why I'm so excited to welcome Ilya's founder, Sasha Plavisk, to the show. Ilya is a clean but functional beauty brand, which has landed on more bestseller lists than I can count. After hearing my chat with Sasha, you'll understand exactly why the brand has had so much success. She's smart, relentless, and extremely practical. I won't give too much away, but whether you're a clean beauty lover or an entrepreneur, you'll want to listen to this episode. I know I learned a lot and you will too. So with that, let's welcome Sasha to the show. So the first question I have for you is what led you into the world of clean beauty? Because you have been in this space like for 10 years before anyone was really talking about it even. Yeah, I think, you know, if I really look back on the beginning stages, which I feel like are more and more of a blur, it's like I remember the beginning and then I don't really remember the middle. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I think people say it's the same with kids, or actually it would be the opposite. Uh, You don't remember the beginning. But with this I do, and I just remember a moment of thinking, um, I want to know more about what I'm putting on my body and what I'm using. And to me, it was a really incremental moment in also wanting to take care of my skin. I'd suffered from acne mm-hmm. for my whole life. I had problematic skin and it was a, like a hide and go seek, you know, like if, or even like duck, duck, goose from, you know, from a standpoint of looking and trying to figure out like, if I try this, will this work? If I try that, will that work? And so many things weren't working that I wanted to learn more. So it was really getting on the computer, starting to research ingredients and realizing at that time, and this would have been 2008, Mm -hmm. because that's when I started the research, that there was a lot of really natural stuff out there uh, and then definitely more conventional synthetic base, but there wasn't really anything in the middle um, from an aesthetic standpoint or from a formula standpoint. So I saw a huge gap in the market and decided to keep exploring. And it wasn't a moment of, I'm going to start a business and do this. I'm going to have, you know, I'm going to have my brand and all the, all the Sephora's one day. It was absolutely not that at all. It was, I'm going to look into this product. I'm going to see if I can recreate it. And I'm going to try and understand how to fill this void. And so 
when you initially started looking into it, was it really like you, you wanting to create that product for yourself first before even like thinking of launching it as a business? It's still that way. I love that. Yeah, I think, I really do think of it from, I don't want to say selfishly from my viewpoint, but if I, I even try and approach most of the things that we do today from how would the customer see this? You know, not how are we trying to sell this to them or make this for them, but how would they react to this? And how you feel about how you would react to it for the most part is a pretty good gauge for how they would feel about it without overclouding your thoughts. So to me, without overclouding, I started with one product and that was our tinted lip conditioner, which is having a celebratory 10-year mark this May and we'll be having a revisit to that uh, formula um, with with something new and exciting coming. So, um, but yeah, it was, you know, I, I was a lip balm girl, a tinted lip balm girl and it was about ripping that one product apart that I had and I used this cherry tinted you know, lip balm for several years and figuring out how to recreate it in a more natural and at the time organic because organic was bigger um, and, and see if I could get that to work. And it was really hard. You know, I, I was totally naive and I had no money. Um, it was like a $25,000 line of credit and a couple credit cards and then just meeting the right people to kind of help me along the way. Um, you know, there was no business plan or advertising plan or marketing plan. It was, let's see if I can create this. Let's see if somebody in a nice lifestyle boutique would be interested in carrying it and mm-hmm. I'll take it from there. So it was literally like one step at a time. And so when it came to the actual creation piece, um, like how did you even go about formulating this thing? Like, was it just you kind of playing around with things? Like, how did it work? Um, it was like a, you know, I guess today it would be considered competitive analysis. So I looked out on the market at what was there for tinted balm, you know, and then I looked at the ingredients. There was nobody in the space exactly that I wanted to be. And I'd actually say for a lot of the products we still create today, even like our top seller, which is our super serum skin tint SPF 40, you know, there's nobody that was really in that space and there is no product really like it out there on the market still. So I think I would try and find a white space and, um, and then figure it out. But, you know, I'm not a chemist, so I can only research so much. From a lip product standpoint, it's very simple. There's butters, waxes, and oils, how you choose to put those together. There's usually some pigment involved if you want it to be tinted but then you need to find a really good chemist. And I was so small. I mean, I actually wanted to do this in Canada. I remember now we're working with this one big lab in Canada, but they would not talk to me back in 2009. You know, who are you? You are nobody, not gonna give you a chance. I was really disappointed in my country, which is why I actually ended up down here because that's the one nice thing about the United States when it comes to business, that if you are a nobody, you know, people for the most part they will believe in you or give you a chance. And I had somebody, a chemist that believed in us being able to create this product. Mm -hmm. And so it took a year and a half to do it in many samples. um, I'd gone to other labs who said, no, we can't do this. Or they took it to like the first sample stage and it was a fail, but I was very persistent and I believed that I could do it. Um, And this person believed that we could do it. So between her chemistry background and my vision, uh, we were able to get to a, you know, the first product. That's incredible. So you, you officially launched in what, 2011? May 2011. 
So that was when clean beauty was really like an emerging category. The concept wasn't really what it is today. And so how was that time in your life? Do you feel like customers were interested right from the get-go or was there like an educational period? What was that initial time like for you? I would say customers were definitely not interested. And about that time, I'd even say that clean didn't emerge till like 2015. I think it was still green beauty or natural beauty at that time. And what I would try to do for the first five years of the business was be really as organic and natural as possible. And to be honest, like come 2015, most of the products that we had at that time, which was nearly a full line, are gone because many of them did not perform to the level that they needed to because natural and organic is a completely different category than clean. I know there's brands out there that have been around that saying they're clean, but they're actually, some of them are way more natural and organic. And to me, it's like, you should own that because that's its own piece that is super challenging and I've done Mm -hmm. it and it's hard. And in makeup, especially it's extremely challenging because in order to be considered organic at 70%, like they have a European union standard there, you have to have, 70% of your ingredients be organic. If you have a concealer that's 50% pigment, you know, or an iron oxide or, uh, you know, dye, um, you you can't get there. So, you know, if if I had continued in that uh, direction, I feel like I would have been very handcuffed. And I was always actually in the industry kind of poo-pooed, so to to speak, for having um, certain amounts of synthetic some synthetic dyes. There were a couple of other synthetics that I was using. And I felt like I needed to use them in order to get to the level of performance that I wanted. But people are like, you're not natural. You're not conventional. What are you? And to Mm -hmm. me, that really was the birth of clean. There was a few brands around at that time that were really experimenting in the middle, you know, between conventional and more natural organic. And that's really, that that's to me clean. It's where, you know, natural meets conventional. It's where the two collide. And it's like a big car crash, you know, and from that point, you take the best of natural and you take the best of safe synthetics, you blend them together for an efficacious product and you, 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 you have the clean, clean product. That's really, really interesting. So actually like since people think, you know, natural is good and synthetic is bad, and I'm not saying everyone does, but I feel like there's almost these like misconceptions when it comes to clean beauty, whereas like, you know, people just automatically think that synthetics are bad. Like, can you explain why this is wrong or like it's maybe just not the truth? It's wrong. Yeah, we have a saying, not every natural ingredient is good for the skin, nor is every synthetic bad. I really learned that the hard way because I had problematic skin. So I'd be putting different natural ingredients on my skin, different oils, different butters, like coconut butter and my skin were not the best of friends. When I looked into it more, it can be comedogenic if you have problematic skin. Excellent for other areas of the skin, maybe on the body or if you have a burn, but for the face, you know, it can, it can actually make it, you know, cause more problems. You can even get milia around your eyes, which is like little white dots that collect because it's basically clogging the pores. So again, what we try to do is strip away as many of those ingredients as we can or have a different version or form of them that will be safe for the skin. And then from a synthetic standpoint, you need certain stabilizers, you need certain polymers, you need things to be able to give the product performance, stability, and and more or less, I think, just to make it so that it's effective. And you, in my eyes, 
each formula that we approach, we look, we start from the beginning and we look what we need to add. And we go, we have a blacklist um, that's very rigorous. We'll have a bit more of a easier understanding version for the customer that we've been working on, but we have a big one, you know, for our manufacturers. And we just go step by step to try and get to, uh, to a place that we feel is good. And it's challenging, but it's also really fun, you know, to formulate this way. And I think one of the things that I know when I know this industry is changing is when I have these labs who would not speak to me for years, like all over the world, coming to me and showing me their clean presentations, you know, which means you can basically just buy it off the shelf. And I, they always know if they're going to work with me, that I'm not going to make it that easy. We're going to rip something apart, you know, pull everything out of it and then rebuild it the way that I think is, you know, what, what the definition of clean is. It's that the best of natural and the best of synthetic. Um, to say something is better because it's natural isn't true. To say something is set is, synth is better because it's synthetic isn't true either. It's about having an understanding of each of those ingredients and how they live together to create the most beneficial product. That's so interesting. What are some other misconceptions when it comes to clean beauty that you kind of hear often, like myths you want to bust? Um, well, I think what kind of sucks is that it is a little bit of a gray area. And you know, there are a few retailers out there um, that have given it a definition and there's some gray areas there. You know, for Ilia, we can't control how other retailers or brands are gonna choose to position themselves. We can choose, we can control how we're choosing to do so. And there are several brands around us that have been doing this for a while that I would say are on the same wavelength. There are some newer brands that I would say are calling themselves clean and they're not. And I think that's where it's up to the customer to educate herself. You know, if you are to anything in life, if you're to move to a neighborhood and pick a school for your kid, you know, are you going to look around and educate yourself on what would be best? It's the same. I think if you're, you know, shopping for certain products, whether it's food, fashion, you know, beauty, you, you have to take it into your own hands and, come to a certain decision that you feel comfortable with. Because to me, there isn't a right or a wrong. It's what you feel comfortable with and where you want to put your dollars, you know, for either the product, for the purpose of the product or the value system, um, and for yourself. So that's, I think that's kind of, you know, what it's come to. That being said, there's definitely a much stronger element of clean, whereby, you know, what I just kind of said, it's the best of natural and the best of synthetic. Some people may have a few different natural ingredients on their list. Some people may have a few different synthetic ingredients, but for the most part, that's what it will encompass. It's, you know, and some of them will stretch in either direction. And then as a consumer, you have to kind of draw a line where you feel comfortable. Yeah, I mean, I, I was have like I was in another interview a few weeks ago and it was with another clean beauty founder. And what she was saying was that clean beauty as well, like it, it is like the same as we do with food, right? Like we almost have to research what we're okay with and what we're not. And also with a good diet, for example, we may choose to do like the 80-20 rule, right? And we should at least strive for that when it comes to skin as well. I thought that was really profound. And I love that you talk about that as well, because you're right. Like I think that with clean, we have to kind of do our research and figure it out and kind of understand what exactly it means to us. Absolutely. I think that that, you know, there, and an 80, 20 rule is there, you know, I think even when it comes to the pandemic, you know, certain people will have in their head that if somebody is, you know, 
six feet away from them, they're safe, which is not true, you know, but if they come closer than that, they're violating, you know, the CDC guidelines. And I think it's just really interesting. Like you, you make your own story in your head about what is okay and what is not okay. You do that with food. You can do that with rationalizing if you're shopping. You can do that with your products. We do that with so many things, women especially. We will rationalize the hell out of something to make it okay. Um, and I think it's, it's really about, um, it is about living in balance, you know, and, mm -hmm. and being okay with that. And if anything, it's just about awareness. Read go, go research. You know, there'll be certain brands out there that are going to be very transparent. There'll be some that are using it as a marketing ploy. Uh, our first core value as a brand is, tra is transparency and everything that we say we're going to do where we want to do, we, for the most part do. Mm -hmm. And that's really important to me. Um, sometimes it's harder as the company gets bigger to see all that internally, <laughs> you know, but really, that's really important for our customer to feel, see, and experience. And I think to me, that's one of our points of difference in this space um, because the customer, she's a truth seeker, especially lately. And, you know, she wants, or he, you know, they want um, that transparency in, in being able to understand who they're purchasing from. And yeah, you're, you're so right. And I, I do think like, even just from, you know, being a wellness brand founder and seeing just how educated consumers are these days and how much they value transparency. I think that it just, it really shows like with, with Ilya as well. Like, I mean, this is just something that people like constantly talk about people who I know who are big brand fans. They really value that transparency because I think that that's where consumers are going nowadays. That's what, that's what they value. Yeah. And I mean, who doesn't, and that was to me was like, when I, when you say what brought you to this, it's when I went and looked back in 2008 at what I was being marketed in the green beauty aisles of whatever retailer or online. Um, it was not in alignment with what was happening on the back of the box. And that to me was like, Hey, wait a second, that's not true. And why would they say that if you know, it's this way. And it kind of, it, it did aggravate me because and there's instances where I get very passionate about that. You know, I, when I moved to LA, I was actually renting a small, tiny little studio from this woman who had cut her house kind of in three pieces to rent out and be able to, you know, pay her mortgage. And she had just had cancer. And then she was using this new uh, deodorant from a drugstore brand. And it said, you know, aluminum free and all this other stuff on it. But when you look in at the back of the ingredient list, there were other things in there that were not okay. If anything, they could be worse. And to me, here I am, this poor woman, you know, thinking that she's using something that's better for her when ultimately it's just being marketed in a way to appear so. And her life is on the line. Nothing infuriates me more, you know, than, than that. And I think, um, I think people have the right to know and I think that if this country won't create regulations to make that more visible, uh, the customer is now ready and demanding it, which regardless what they do from a regulatory standpoint, she will seek out and find, you know, the truth and what, you know, what she thinks is right. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't tell you how much, um, I relate to this because it's something me and my co-founder are constantly talking about just this transparency piece because you know a lot of 
a lot of what happens in the beauty world, it's like the same thing kind of happening in the wellness world as well. And like, it's, it, this is like such a big piece for us as well, where like transparency is like really at the core of our brand and we see that people value it. And we like, even for me as a consumer, like just coming from it from like a consumer standpoint, like, you know, we created array for, for us essentially, you know, and that transparency piece was so important. And so, yeah, like, I love that you talk about this because it is so important for, for, everyone to kind of be well versed about what they're putting on their skin and into their body. Like, it's just really important that they kind of understand like, you know, what are, what are facts? Like what is just pure marketing? Like that thing you're talking about, the deodorant, that's just, I mean, it's heartbreaking. It is. And I think in the U S too, one thing that really is bothersome is that they don't have to list all the ingredients. You know, there's lots of ways to hide them. So if you are going to sell in the European union, which you're probably familiar with, if you are, preparing to do that, but you have to go through a huge registration mm -hmm. process. And it's a lot of red tape and paperwork. However, what happens is you, they, they rip through everything and they, you have to sign NDAs with your labs and they'll go through and they will pull out every tiny trace ingredient in an ingredient. So you can have an ingredient like lavender water and there can be like four other ingredients in there, a preservative system, you know, which might be phenoxyethanol and something else, but you don't have to list that in the U S yet it's lurking in there. And so what we decided to do is when we registered in Europe several years ago, we had to go back through all of our ingredient lists and we found things so hidden that we went and started swapping only like it wasn't that bad in, in honesty, but that was going to have to be listed on the ingredient mm -hmm. panel. So we went and did some reverse engineering, which was minor for the most part. Um, and then we fully exposed every trace, which by law you have to in Europe. And we decided to make that our universal ingredient list. So in the US, people said to us, whoa, your ingredient list got a little bit longer. And there's a couple things on here that are a little bit in question. It's like, actually, those, that is only in there at 0.001%, but we're showing you every trace ingredient so that you have that full visibility because that is the law in order for us to uh, have it exported and imported into Europe. You know, now in the U.S., you will, we are also providing that transparency because that is important to us. Uh, side note on that, like those Think Dirty apps and other things, and what else? It's the EWG. Please go with caution because when you plug in a formula, let's say you have 20 ingredients, it will just take the average. Even if one of those ingredients is only in there at 0.01%, and then it will spit back a number. It's not accurate science. It's not accurate data, and it's not giving you anything that is helpful in my, in my mind, unless you actually know the percentages of that formula. So just, you know, for consumers out there who think that they are able to look at that and judge it, you're not because you don't have enough of the data, unless it is an EWG verified brand, or if it is verified in some other way where you're, they were disclosing their percentages to that company in order to have accuracy. That is fascinating. So if someone is looking to kind of research clean beauty and like just I guess like how to evaluate what products work and what don't all of these things do you have any resources that you recommend for them um I think that they should start reading you know as far as you can go to places like EWG it can just be slightly skewed mm -hmm. uh, I think if you're really interested in a brand you go to the brand you know, the brand should be able to give you the answers to a certain extent that you are seeking. Um, you know, some things are harder, you know, to, to fully 
fully disclose, but for the most part, some people will come to us and ask us very in-depth questions, you know, about manufacturing practices or ingredients or the trace elements that we expose, and we will give them an honest answer. Um, I think that that's probably the best way to go about it. So if you are, again, to go back to those apps and try and do some research, mm -hmm. I, from that standpoint, if there's any ingredients that you become educated on that are a concern, just reach out to the brand and ask them, would you be able to share the percentage, you know, that is present in this formula? That's a real test, actually, to see how far they will go in actually, you know, exposing something that could be, I don't know, uh, could be a future issue or could be yeah. more revealing, you know, for something they may not want to share. Super interesting. So then let's talk about the specific products and I guess like the functionality factor, because with Ilya, I mean, we were talking about the mascara before um, the interview. I can't get enough of it and people swear by your foundation. I was speaking to someone I know um, a few weeks back and she was like, she had some sort of breakout on her skin. She switched to Ilya, like everything, and it completely changed her skin. So what is it that makes your product special? Because it's clean, yet it's extremely functional. Functional is a pretty good word. I would say that sums me up in probably one word. Um, I think at the end of the day, the product has to work. And uh, what I really saw was also a gap for skincare in the makeup. Um, makeup can have so many things in it that can actually offset the skin. Not only that, if you're prepping your skin with other people's skincare and it has a complexity to the formula. You know, if you have like a base oil, it's probably a non-communogenic oil of some sort. I actually recommend squalene to prep your skin just because it's so pure if you get a good kind and uh, great hydrator, great moisturizer, uh, and it won't disrupt. You know, if you, if you put somebody else's skincare there and then you have all these ingredients and then I mean, you're putting somebody else, another brand's makeup on top, on top, how do they talk to each other, you know? How does your skin react to that? It's like a little chemical experiment that's going on there. And, um, you know, it'd be the same if you were to take all your cleaning products at once and put them in your tub, what would happen? You'd probably have some foaming, <laughs> you know, some frothing, uh, maybe some bursts of powder, uh, you know, that, that could be pretty strong smelling. And you're like, whoa, there's a lot going on here. Um, I, I kind of look at it the same way. So what we try to do is we look to build in the, the facets of skincare into our products. Specifically, complexion is obviously, um, you know, a big one. Lip, we have a, you know, for, we have a story there as well. So for complexion, many of our complexion products will complain, can contain, got like all my words mixed up today. Um, we've got uh, Mastic, which is a medicinal resin that comes from the island of Chios in Greece. Um, it really helps to refine the skin. It helps to um, visibly minimize pores, and it can even help to balance the oils over time. Uh, we've got niacinamide, which is another skin refiner. It can help to heal scarring. Um, we've got alatoin. I never say it right, but that's actually an FDA-registered skin soother. <laughs> that's in our Super Serum Skin Tint and actually can help to decrease irritations or skin problems such as eczema, psoriasis. So I'm looking for all these skin soothing ingredients and then I'm trying to take out all the things that would aggravate it on top of it. So all of our complexion fragrance free. Um, most of it is silicone free. Uh, not all silicones are bad either. That's another thing to take note of. People can see it and freak out, which is, there's a bit of a misconception there. Um, uh, and a lot of other 
ingredients that could just cause, you know, or wreck havoc. So I think at the end of the day, what I'm ultimately trying to do is again, build a formula that's balanced for your skin and put it, you know, fill or fill it with active levels of skincare. So when you see a marketing ingredient or an ingredient called out, what percentage is it in the formula? For us, it needs to be a relative amount in order for it to, to do its job. And if it's like a real skincare hitter, like a niacinamide or a hyaluronic acid or a vitamin C, it should be in there at a clinically active level, you know, mm -hmm. otherwise people won't see the benefit. Um, so I think, yeah, to answer your, to answer your question, we make products for people to see a benefit. If you're using a product and you don't see a benefit, it's probably not highly active enough and you should move on. I love that you talk about that because I, I mean, I could go on and on about this, but I feel like you just look at these products, right? And like, as just like a consumer who maybe hasn't done research or is not familiar, they buy something just thinking, oh, like I see vitamin C or hyaluronic acid, but then it just doesn't do anything. And you sit there wondering like, why isn't it doing anything? And it's the same, by the way, in the, in the natural wellness category as well, whereby you're just taking something over and over again. And I remember when we were um, in our initial formulation stage for Array, like we would take it to our formulator, who's like a naturopathic doctor, like just different products that were out in the market. And she would like sit there and laugh and she'd be like, what is that dose going to do with this ingredient? You know, and I feel like it's the same thing in beauty. So it's so interesting. Yeah, no, it, it, it you know, it, percentage does matter. Um, and balancing out the formula too also matters. Um, it is, there's a major science involved in it. And to me, it is very functional. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, another thing about our makeup when we build it is that um, it should hold nicely in the day. It doesn't mean it should lock on and not budge for 12 hours because that's, for most products, that's pretty impossible. And, mm -hmm. and usually your skin will want to break through any, anyway, and then you'll start to see like cracking or creasing and other things. But I'd also say one of the biggest points of difference for us compared to our competitors outside of having highly activated skincare ingredients is that the makeup goes on, it makes your skin look alive and awake, um, and it fades in a way that is subtle and not jarring. And it's why we've also been able to tap into a demographic that is like from, you know, a Gen Z all the way to somebody who's 70 plus. Um, we've really gone after that. And I think it's because we're making products that can make your skin look amazing at any age. Yeah, totally. I love that. So I want to talk specifically about your skin tint, um, the SPF 41, because not a lot of brands have actually mastered clean SPF and you've actually done it. Yeah, um, that was definitely an ongoing challenge for several years. I think, you know, I wanted it to be makeup plus skincare plus SPF in one step. I feel like a lot of people are doing those steps separately. And again, how are they talking to each other? If you have three different brands and you're layering on top and somebody says, your product's making me break out. And it's like, well, how do you know it's not because not like what's underneath it that's reacting with our product that we can't control. Mm -hmm. So that's very functional to me in the sense that, Let's put it all in one. You know, we say to people, this is everything in one. If you need more hydration, take a very simple non-comedogenic oil just for a bit of extra moisture. But for the most part, shake this well and you're going to get your SPF 40, a non-nano mineral-based zinc oxide. You're going to get hyaluronic acid to help hold moisture from the squalane that is very much built into this formula, which is a non-comedogenic fatty ester oil. 
um, and you're going to get uh, niacinamide and the allotonin to help smooth and revive the skin. And people that have psoriasis, people that have problematic skin, people that have skin that generally reacts to everything are emailing us and saying, your product has changed my life. And that to me is like, that's, that is the best feeling. And our, it goes back to our mission. Our mission as a brand is to protect and revive the skin skins all over the body, you know, so I don't know who, who knows where else we can go with that. But at the end of the day, it's, it's ultimately what I feel very, very passionate about. Like when I see my little girl these days, you know, she's back in school coming home, they have to wash their hands 10 times a day. What's going to happen to your skin? Well, they use this pink soap that who knows where that is coming from, you know, that it's literally her hands came home totally inflamed. So in my head, I'm already like, okay, you know, what are we going to do about this? And it's because it's ag this soap and 10 times a day of washing is aggravating their skin. And it's not just her hands. It's like half the school that kind of had this little outbreak. And it's a whole other area to me that I become really passionate about because what does it take to pr protect and revive the skin? Whether no matter your age, you know, we should be using products, um, you know, that are actually taking care of our skin in the best way possible because it's yes, our skin regenerates, but, you know, if you do get a lot of sun damage when you're younger and other things, like you only have one body, you got one vessel to play with. So how do we take care of it? I, I mean, I love that. And I think that it's like, I think that the commitment and like passion you have to like, like that, that whole like world of like clean and yet functional product that's actually taken Ilya to like, as like a mainstream brand. And this was, I think before like clean beauty even really became mainstream. I think you guys really led the way. And so I think I'm wondering, like when, when it came to launching your business, did you always think like, no, I really want to create a clean ethical beauty brand, which could also speak to millennial beauty lovers, not just people who valued clean, but like this was a brand that was good for everyone. Like, is that something you just knew that you wanted to do? No. <laughs> Really? I, I was, yeah, I was so young. That was like 10, 12 years ago, I guess. So I think um, I grew up a lot in the last 10 years. And I think, you know, initially I wanted it to be, it took time to find my way. I wanted to create great product to protect and revive the skin. You know, how I got there, that was a, its own journey. You know, I went really natural and organic for the first five years. That failed in my eyes. Like we had notoriety and we had some recognition, but the brand really did not take off until I'd even say like a year ago. You know, like I, I think that we, people knew who we were, or some did, but the amount of people that know who we are today compared to even 12 months ago is insane. And I really think it was a combination of things that kind of brought us to, to this point. Um, and also, you know, like initially I wanted to be more niche. And then we started working with Sephora in 2016 and that was a slow build. And then we created a stronger partnership with them. And I believe last year people wanted more transparency. And it was, you know, we also, we did our first campaign that was more value-based. It didn't have any product. And I think we, I really just wanted to speak to people in a real way. Um, I wanted them to be able to connect with the product. I wanted them to be able to connect with us. And I wanted them to know that we were functional and there for them in a way that was no bullshit. And I think, you know, that ultimately was a defining moment in marketing that was different than all the, you know, jazz hands, as I call it in marketing. Um, it was real. It was authentic. It was approachable. It was, 
non-bias against age. You know, like we really we went after the millennial and her mom last year. That just cracked open a whole new demographic. I'm 42. Like nobody was talking to me. Everything was so Gen Z based, which is a huge portion of our business. We have a Gen Z customer. But there's also another woman out there who's established in her age and her career. She probably has, you know, a decent income and nobody was capturing her. Mm-hmm. So to me, that was, um, you know, a big opportunity. And I mean, that Super Serums content we've been talking about a couple of weeks ago, it was the number one foundation overall at Sephora, not just in clean, but like ahead of every big brand. So clearly, you know, there was a woman out there looking for more. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's actually incredible. And yeah, I mean, so much of what you've said, it's it, it, like, it kind of shows why you are where you are. And I think also like what you said about you guys, a lot of people only hearing about your brand, like within this last year, I was actually one of them. Like I'd seen Ilya um, around, but I hadn't really looked into the brand up until about a year ago, I feel like that's when I started to take notice. And I was like, no, whoa, like this is, this is really a brand that like knows its shit. So, and this is like, you know, I want to tie it into the concept of like, you know, people thinking like overnight success, right. And someone might look into Ilya thinking like, oh, like, you know, they they were born last year, like here they are, (laughs) but you've actually been around for, for 10 years. Right. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask you, like, do you remember a few of those like major challenges that felt like your world was ending towards like the beginning Mm -hmm. of your kind of career in this? Yeah, I'd even say it was halfway through, you know, the beginning, the first couple of years were really nice. I just, you know, would ship product off. And for the most part, it would get into some of the most beautiful stores in the world. How naive was I, you know, sent it to a package to Colette in Paris and it got in. That was such a such a stellar That's insane. moment. That wow. was in like t- 2012, you know, and I remember I was like, wow, that it was actually like my first goal. I want to get into Colette and I got in and then I thought, okay, what's next? You know, and I think it was setting, putting little pegs in the ground. Um, I will say, you know, 2014, 2015 and parts of 2016 were probably my darkest days. I, um, I lost a parent, which was really traumatic and fast and um there was no security for the family so he actually it was my dad and he said to me you're responsible you're the responsible one for the family and i was just getting married at that time to somebody who was away eight months a year and i found out i was pregnant there was all these like everything that could have happened in a six-month period happened and i remember i thought okay i gotta put on my big girl pants and and push through you know and I didn't really give myself time to grieve. I didn't give myself time to deal. I just was trying to survive. And I thought I could do it all. You know, people say, whoa, you're doing it all. And I was to a point that was so dangerous. It was, I was totally burnt out. I felt so sad. I was mentally unwell for how much I was trying to handle and juggle. My brother was a business partner at that time in the business and he him and I, him and I have always had a bit of a challenging time, but it was especially hard because of the death of my father. Um, I felt very alone and everything was still going well with the business, but it wasn't enjoyable anymore. And it was at that moment that I realized I needed to look into bringing somebody else into the business to help me 
run a side of it that I didn't have a level of experience in. And so I was in a Sephora meeting, I think um, it was 2016. And I turned to the head of color there and said, I don't know what I'm doing because they wanted to start testing us. And they'd actually called me in 2012. I'd had this conversation for like four or five years of I'm not ready. I don't have the money. I'm just learning. And I was finally at like a learning curve where it's like, okay, let's, let's give this a shot. But I said, if I'm going to give this a shot, I need to have somebody on my team that knows what the hell they're doing with this because this is big. And, uh, you know, once you step into that, you know, I'd say to anybody out there who wants to have distribution with a big retailer, be ready. Make sure you have somebody there on board. Make sure you have somebody that understands that sales or distribution channel. Make sure you have somebody that knows what it takes to be successful because you got one shot and the shot built, built itself up, you know, over the last five years um, to a point to where we are today, but it definitely wasn't overnight. It was definitely very much strategic. And I had, I brought in a woman, Linda Berkowitz, who is like a veteran in the industry and an amazing operator and CEO. And I gave away that title. I think there's a lot of ego for women wanting to say CEO founder, it gets to a point where if you want that business to thrive, unless you've been running a big business or a mid-sized business, you've got to give pass that torch on to somebody who knows how to really do it well. If that's your jam, like maybe you are an operator at heart, but many founders are visionaries and creatives, uh, not all, but a large handful. And in order, I think, to thrive, you need a combination of the two to take it to the top. That's really interesting. So when you did give up the CEO title, what was that time in your life like? Like, was it, is it something that just came very natural to you? Because right now you're explaining it to me and it's like, so like, it's such a, I guess, like matter of factly, like very practical way of thinking about it that like, nope, I, I was a visionary and like time to give it away to someone who's functional. Is that how you thought about it initially? That's my functional personality yeah. there coming in. Yeah, it was super rational, I would say. It was also, um, hey, you know, I have two kids, one's two, one's six. Uh, that's a challenge in itself when you're trying to, when you're in the, like, the biggest growing stages of your business, which has been the last five years. So I had to make a decision. She was worthy of that title. She had earned it. And uh, I had not in my eyes. And um, I needed to focus on where we were going to go and what we were going to make and how we were going to market it. That's my specialty, you know, mm -hmm. and hers is she kind of lets me do what I want there. And then hers is running the business, running, you know, the like all the, the operations, the finance, um, the sales, uh, and overseeing, you know, all departments, there's a huge um, strategy that needs to be involved in order for your business to scale. If you don't have, especially operations and sales in, in, and finance buttoned up, uh, you won't be able to scale. You can have the best product in the world and the most amazing marketing, but it takes, you know, all tides rise, all those pieces need to kind of sit together and link up um, in order for it to happen. But yeah, I mean, initially, if I look back, I was like, I remember my brother was like, why do you want to give that away? And I was like, why do I want it? Why do I want people, you know, on LinkedIn coming to me for all that stuff? So, you know, I, I don't, I would like to be able to go create my products to protect and revive people's skin because that's my first passion and not to lose the sight of that. 
and the rest of the, like, there's a lot of other things I obviously deal with, you know, and we pretty much split the business in the middle for what we may handle. But uh, yeah, it was like, I was relieved. I would say the word is it's relieved. Um, Because in my eyes, in order to become a successful entrepreneur, and this is my experience, other people will have different experiences, but from this view point, you need to hire people around you that are as good or better than what you can do. Because you can't be good at everything. You've got to figure out what you're good at and the rest you have to give to other people who can accelerate it and blow it out of the water. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's actually like a very valuable piece of advice that you've given for other entrepreneurs who are probably listening in. Because I mean, I say the same thing that like, if, if I feel like we, you need to hire people who are better than you. That's, that's about it. And like have their specialty as well, because it's impossible to be good at everything. Like there's just no way. And like you're out of your depth if you think that you can do everything on your own. So I think that that's super, super valuable. Um, moving on to something lighter. And this is actually my last question for you. What is your morning beauty routine? Oh, today it was fast. Um, <laughs> I would say maybe twice a week I wash my hair. So on those days, I feel like it's a little bit longer. Not that I do much with it, but just to wash it takes time. (laughs) Uh, When you have kids, people, yeah, it takes time. It's like an extra 10 minutes, you know, which could be used functionally somewhere else. Um, I'll quickly blow dry it or I don't know, do something. But then from a skincare standpoint, um, I do use a new face, which is uh, a microcurrent device. I'm obsessed. It's so good. I had Tara, the founder on the show as well. Oh my God. I'm obsessed. It's so good. It's good. It's definitely, it's like it. And I've been using it for like several years and I just did a live with her a couple days ago. Her and I know each other relatively well at this point. Um, But yeah, so I, if there, if I can slip that in every couple days, otherwise I do it at night. Usually I have more time at night, but that to kind of hydrate and set the face. And then I'll move into a quick regime of super serum skin tint SPF 40 concealer, a multi-stick or color haze, which is like a multi-use kind of blush eye lip situation, Uh, some type of illuminator or highlighter. Um, Today I used liquid light. So we have three options. There's a liquid, there's a powder, and there's a cream. So many more than there used to be, but it depends what (laughs) I'm in the mood for. A little bit of brow, of which I have something kind of in my back pocket on that one as well. And then a little bit of mascara. But yeah, I'd say there's probably several products, but it can be fast, you know. Um, on days when I want less, I have a base of something else that's a secret right now. And then I, I go into our concealer, you know, and, um, and just use a little bit of concealer and one colored multi-use product like our multi-stick to just freshen up. And immediately it, it gives a bit of evening to the skin tone and a tiny bit of color and it just makes... Again, it makes you look and feel alive. And I think, you know, your perception of how you feel is also generally how people will see you. And if I can make people feel good in their skin and make it still feel like it's their skin, um, then I'm, I'm in luck. Yeah, that's the dream. And um, just looking at you through Zoom, your skin looks amazing. So it's a testament to your product. <laughs> oh, thank you. This is good lighting. I'm in like the perfect lighting in this window in the office. It's a, it's a good combination, good skin products and uh, good lighting. Um, yeah. Sasha, tell everyone where they can find you. This is so amazing. Absolutely. You can find us at iliabeauty.com. Uh, and then at iliabeauty would be our Instagram handle to check out more of what, what's happening. 
Uh, you can also find us at Sephora, All Doors in the US, Credo, uh, Detox, Folane, uh, Canada. We will be launching, I think we just launched All Doors um, for Sephora, and we will be launching our Super Serum, uh, the SPF 40, in June. We have so many Canadians up there that are constantly asking about it. And oh my goodness, with COVID, the regulations were pushed back like 365 days to register a product, and that's the reason it took so long. But yes, it's coming. Um, and yeah. That's amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. This was great. <laughs>